Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Join me as I pray for us. Our Father, this week of celebration reminds us of how we have a lot to be thankful for. We're grateful for you planting a vision for a body of believers in Willow Street, a church that is characterized by seeing the Bible as authoritative, by the gospel by caring about people. And we're thankful, Lord, to be part of what started out over 25 years ago. We're grateful for how you provided resource through the years, rented facilities, insight, finances, and how your spirit moved throughout drawing men, women, and children to yourself. So we're privileged, Lord, to stand in a very nice building today that is continuing to be used to share the gospel so that men, women, and children might come to know Jesus and follow him. So, Lord, we are grateful for a building. We're grateful for a robust budget. We're grateful for changed hearts And Lord, we we humbly ask that you would help us never to make idols out of any of these things, but just to be thankful as we receive them graciously in our hands. Use each of these tools to further your kingdom. We're grateful too this morning to be here with each other, Lord, reminding us that we do not walk alone. You didn't design us to be out of relationship, first of all, with you, nor with the person to our left and right. Lord, we need each other for accountability, for encouragement, as life's problems sometimes pile up on us, Lord. Continue to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who totally understands anything and everything we go through. We're grateful, Lord, that you meet meet us in the midst of suffering. You meet us in the midst of loss. You meet us in the midst of joy. We're grateful that it's all about you. So, Lord, be glorified because of our time today. May you speak through your servant, Pastor Mike, as he brings the word. May your Holy Spirit counsel, comfort, convict, convince, drawing us closer to yourself. May you be seen for who you really are, and may we trust you more fully because of our time together. We love you very much, and we look forward to what you're doing and what you will do. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So join with me in reading the scripture, James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. 
Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Well, this weekend we come to the end of our summer-long study in the book of James. I hate to say goodbye to him. It's been a hard weekend already because we took Lydia back to college yesterday, so our youngest is now in her second semester junior year. It occurred to me on the way home that, my goodness, it won't be long until they're all gone. Of course, the Lord did resettle four of our grandchildren a half a mile away, so the house will be not empty as, as it is. But you know, that was hard, just thinking about saying goodbye to Lydia. And then, last night, as I began to preach, I thought, my goodness, this has been a really good relationship with James this summer. I don't know about you, but I have been enriched and encouraged and strengthened and convicted and convinced the Lord has blessed me in our study in the book of James. You know, James is really a fast-paced, intensely practical, and hard-hitting kind of author. Paul, when he ends the letter, he says, say hi to here and say hello to this person, and it's so good to be, I'm looking forward to seeing you and grace and peace to you. Not James. James goes right up to the very end telling us, and do this and do that, do this and do that, and don't forget this and don't forget that, sort of like we did with Lydia as we were leaving our dorm room. Don't forget this and don't forget that, and then we disappear, and James does exactly that. It has been, however, a great study to learn how to make faith work. As we have studied the book of James, as we have studied what James has taught us, we've learned how to handle trials and temptations and conflict. We've learned how to avoid favoritism and gossip and hoarding and cheating and indulging. We've learned how to obey God's word, seek God's wisdom, how to submit to God's will, how to be patient as we wait for God's son to come back again in his second coming. And now, as James concludes this, study this weekend, we learn how to pray. We learn how in the midst of all of the situations we face in life, God has graciously given us a gift, and it's the gift of prayer. He wants us to handle come what may in our life with prayer. Handle it with prayer is what James says. And he addresses four specific groups of Christians in this passage this weekend. He begins with the troubled, and then the happy, and then the sick, and he ends with the wandering Christian. So let's look at them and see what he has to say to us in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, and let's begin with the troubled. James says, is any one of you troubled? Then he should pray. Now, what in the world is a troubled person? It's someone who in their spirit is anxious, someone who in their spirit is frustrated, irritated, 
Someone who is, is frustrated with their circumstances in life, maybe a particular person in life. Maybe you came in here this morning and you were troubled in your spirit about what you will be facing tomorrow when you go back to work or what you might be facing in the next month within your family circle or what you know you're facing and you haven't yet told anyone else what you will be personally facing in life. James says this, if any one of you is in trouble, he should pray. And this morning, I ask you, what do you do when you're in trouble? Do you run away? Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? And do you take it out on other people? Or do you break silence with God? And do you lay it out and tell him exactly what is troubling you? The word of God is very clear that we need to get those things off our chest. And we need to do it by going directly to the Lord and laying it out before him. Because there is a beautiful promise in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. One of my favorite passages of scripture. Don't worry about anything. Pray about half the things that you're concerned about. Is that what it says? No. Pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. And look at the promise that Paul gives in Philippians 4, 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise. Are you troubled today? Then break silence and take whatever troubles you to the Lord and, and lay it before him and tell him exactly what it is that's troubling your heart and you will experience the peace that passes. It doesn't mean that it will be immediately resolved. It may not be, but you will feel a whole lot better because you are overcome and overwhelmed by the peace of God. Secondly, James says, is anyone happy? Let's look at the happy group. Is anyone happy? James says, let them sing songs of praise. Now, the word for happy literally means to be content in your heart. Circumstances in life, people in life, are just making you happy. And if you are happy, James says you need to recognize the source of your happiness. You need to break silence in a different way. And you need to tell Jesus how thrilled you are for what he has done and the blessings that he has poured out in your life. And how do you do that? By singing songs of praise. Now, some of us are not really good singers, right? I'm one of them. I mean, I can't carry a tune worth a lick, but I can whistle. And so, you know, we have outpour jazz here. We have outpour kids. We have outpour teens now. This week, they hatched a plan to have outpour whistlers, and I'm going to be the chief whistler in that new ensemble. Pastor Will said to me one day, I, and he said this with all sincerity, he said, I don't understand how you can't carry a single note when you sing, but you can actually carry a note when whistling. I said, well, thanks a lot. That was really kind of you to comment on my inability to sing. Some of us can't, and yet that doesn't mean we shouldn't. God wants to hear our voices in praise and thanksgiving for what he has done. Now listen, in Luke 17, there is a story about 10 lepers and they were healed by Jesus. And do you remember how many of them came back to thank him and praise him for his healing? Anybody remember? One. One. Now see how you are with math this morning. How many did not come back? Nine. Where are the other nine, Jesus said. You don't want him to be asking where you are. You want to be in the front of the line telling him how great 
he is. Listen, if you're troubled, pray. If you're happy, sing songs of joy. Or if you can't sing, join me in GCC's Outpour Whistlers. And we will have a great time whistling together. Thirdly, and this is much longer, the sick. Are you sick? Look at what James says. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the sickness that James is referring to here is a physical sickness. But he is not referring to the common cold or a sprained ankle. He's actually referring to chronic illness or significant and critical illness in this passage of Scripture. What he's saying is that when, as Christians, we are faced with that kind of chronic or critical sickness, we are encouraged to call upon the elders of the church, that would be the pastors and the spiritual leaders of the church, and to request that they would come and anoint us and pray for us. Now, let me explain that to you. The elder's responsibility, according to the word of God, is very simply to pray. To pray, James says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, because there is no greater name, there is no stronger name in which to make a request to pray than the name of Jesus. And to accompany that prayer with the anointing of oil. Now, that oil is not medicinal, it's not magical, it doesn't contribute to anyone's healing, it is symbolic. And so when you anoint someone and pray over them, you are anointing them symbolically saying, God is present and powerful through his spirit, and it will not be me that heals you, it will be the power of God by the grace of God that heals you. And so in the life of Grace Community Church, just in the past two weeks, two different individuals facing critical or chronic illness have requested anointing and prayer. And when they've come to us, and sometimes we go to them, when they came to us here in the sanctuary, I anointed them by placing the sign of the cross on their forehead with oil in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then in the name of Jesus, a number of us as elders gathered around and we laid hands on and we prayed for those individuals to be made well according to the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now James adds a caveat to this kind of prayer. He says that there are occasions when our illness is related to our sin. Now listen up very closely right now, don't miss this. Personal illness is not by and large the result of your personal sin. Illness in the world in which we live is the result of living in a broken and a fallen world which occurred in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve sinned. But there is some illness that some people will face in life that is directly linked to their own sinful activities or choices in life. And so as a pastor, I have at times anointed and prayed for individuals who because of their abuse of drugs or alcohol or smoking, for example, they have a certain illness which is critical or chronic. And so James says, when that is the case, make sure you add into your prayer time that the sick person confesses their sin to the Lord and asks for his forgiveness. 
And James says this, if he has sin, he will be forgiven. It is so critical that that become part of our prayer time if indeed the sickness is connected to sin. Now let me go back and let me say this to you. To anoint and pray for healing in this way is not a magic art. This is an act of obedience on the part of the sick person and of sincere faithful prayer on the part of the elders of the church. One of the individuals that we anointed, when she walked into the sanctuary, looked at the pastors who were gathered, she smiled and she said, as she is facing this chronic illness in her life, she said, I'm here to be obedient to the word of God. The outcome is in his hands. That's important to hear. There is no promise of an outcome per se, it is simply a matter that the invitation is given, call the elders, ask them to pray and anoint you, and you do that out of obedience because God has invited you to do that. It is important to notice in James chapter 5 that this kind of prayer is serious. When I prepare to anoint and pray for someone, I spend time in my office seeking the Lord and asking for his help in that prayer time. I ask him to search my heart and make sure that I'm ready to come out and to be able to anoint and pray for a brother or sister in Christ because this is what James says, and I want you to notice this in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, righteous doesn't mean perfect. Righteous doesn't mean that you do everything right in life. None of us do that on this side of eternity. But righteous means that you're saved, that you know Jesus. And that if you know Jesus and you're sincere and serious, then your prayers will be effective and they will be powerful. Remember that James is writing originally to a bunch of Jewish Christians. We learned that in James chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And, and, and so it's not unusual that to illustrate what a powerful, effective prayer life is, that he goes back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And if you're here and you remember that we preached on Elijah last fall, we studied these passages. Powerfully, Elijah called upon God to send a drought on Israel because of their sin. Powerfully, Elijah called upon God to break the drought and send rain. He persisted in his prayers until he saw just a small black cloud the size of a man's hand coming on the horizon. And he kept praying for rain, praying for rain, and God sent rain. And this is what James says. If you want an example of powerful and effective praying, look at Elijah. He prayed and kept praying. He didn't give up. He believed in the Lord to do whatever the Lord willed, even though it may not be necessarily in line with everything he asked for, it would be according to what God wanted. And God answered his prayers. He healed the land of Israel. God will answer our prayers and minister healing to those that we pray for. Anointing in prayer is not a magic act, friends. Not at all. It is an act of obedience and we allow the outcome to be the hands of the Lord. Which leads me to the next thing that James says, which has been of great debate through the years in the church. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise 
him up. Say that with me. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Do you know what that seems to be saying? At least as I read it at first blush, it seems to be saying that when sincere, faith-filled prayer is offered for a sick person, that person will get well. And if she or she, he or she is laying in a flat position, they will get up and out of their bed and they will get back to whatever they were previously doing. I love the picture that's given in Scripture when Jesus walks into the home of Peter, the apostle, and he finds out that Peter's mother-in-law is sick in bed. Remember that story? He prays for her. She is healed. And the Word of God actually says that she got up and went out in the kitchen and made a pot pie dinner with pepper cabbage. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's just an incredible story. That's the Pennsylvania Dutch edition of that passage of Scripture. She got up and made a meal. It's like, oh my goodness, what a woman she is, you know? And when I read this, I have to be honest with you, as a pastor who has prayed over 36 years of ministry many, many times in the anointing and prayer, this has not always been my experience. Not everybody I have prayed for has gotten well on this earth. Not everybody I prayed for has gotten up and out of bed and back to life as normal. So I'm left wondering whether the sick person is still sick because Mike Sigmund's faith is faulty and flawed, because I'm missing something, because I haven't prepared my heart, because I have some secret hidden sin that I don't even know about. When I was a 21-year-old youth pastor at First DC Church in Palmyra, I was at a community meeting of youth pastors and a fellow walked up to me after the meeting. He looked me in the eye, he said, he was another youth pastor in town, and he said, you obviously don't have enough faith. And I'm like, whoa, you don't have the faith to be a youth pastor. I didn't even know him. I said, what are you talking about? He said, if you had faith, you would not be wearing glasses. You would have perfect eyesight. Your glasses are a sign that you lack faith. Now, I knew that didn't sound right. I knew that wasn't true according to Scripture. My experience in life has taught me that sometimes those for whom we pray do not get well on this side of eternity. They do not always get up and go on. So I'm left asking another question. God, what is your definition of getting well? Dr. Sinclair Ferguson has helped me with this in his outstanding commentary on James when he simply wrote this. We want to ask James, do you mean physical cure or final cure? And perhaps James's answer would be yes. Do you mean physical cure or final cure? And perhaps James's answer would be yes. Earlier this spring, we preached a whole series of sermons on eternity. And we taught you in those sermons that as Christians, we live with an eternal perspective on life. Listen, as I think about my life standing here this morning, I think about my life not as my life up to the point of my death, I think about my life as an eternal life. 
I know that there is going to come a day when I will walk through a doorway, it will be a split second, and I will take the hand of Jesus and I will walk into his presence. I will for a fleeting second die on this earth, but I will immediately gain eternal life and live with him forever. When I think of my life, I think of a continuum that began on June the 16th, 1962 at Lancaster General Hospital where I was birthed and will continue until I live forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. With that eternal perspective, we understand that not all healing is going to take place here on this earth. Some of it will by the power of God and the providence of God. Some people will be fully healed here. They will get up from their bed and they will return to normal life. Some will not. Some will be perfectly and finally healed in heaven. They will be raised up from whatever sickness they have here on earth and Jesus will come and take you to be with him so that where he is, you may be also John chapter 14. If we believe that this is true, then we can be confident that every prayer offered in faith will indeed make the sick person well, whether it is here on earth or for eternity. And the Lord will raise us up, whether it's here or it's in heaven. So I want to invite you, if you're here or you're online, and you're facing chronic illness or critical illness, don't focus on the outcome when you read this passage. Just focus on the obedience. God is saying, I invite you, call the elders of the church. Ask them to pray over you in the name of Jesus and anoint you. Just do that and let the rest up to me. And I invite you, call us. It is our privilege, it is our calling to respond and to pray for you and your needs. The troubled, the happy, the sick, and here's the last category for whom we need to be praying, the wandering the wandering Christian. Now, what in the world does that mean? James addresses the needs of those who are now spiritually sick as he rounds out chapter 5. Look at, again at James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here's the deal. The spiritually sick person is the person who wanders away or drifts away from their faith in Jesus Christ. Back in the day when I was first growing, when I was growing up, not first growing up, but still growing up, but when I was growing up, we called that backsliding. This is the person who was once excited and energetic and thrilled and they were in church and man, they were worshiping the Lord and they were reading the word and they were telling you about how God was moving and working in their life and over time you saw them begin to drift little by little by little. We saw this actually happen in the American church over the COVID shutdowns 
And, and we see it happening across the American Christian landscape as people who were once excited and enthusiastic about Jesus have begun to temper that and they've begun to drift and they've begun to wonder. Listen, the word of God says in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, we must pay careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. This culture in which we live, this culture in which we live could easily pull us away if we choose to digest what the culture is teaching, if we choose to adopt the worldview that the culture is advocating, we can very easily begin to lose our zeal, our excitement, our love, our commitment to Jesus Christ. And, and we can very easily begin to, you know, we were at church three out of four Sundays, usually away one weekend, and, and before long, we're there two out of four, and before long, one out of four, and we really aren't anywhere, except we aren't there. And, and let's go deeper. There was a time when we read the Word and read it regularly, daily, and, and I'm not sure when the last time was that I read the Word, and, and there was a time when I Man, when I was, when I was growing and, and I was excited about Jesus and that excitement sort of isn't quite as hot as it used to be. And when you see people in that position, this is what God says, bring them back. It's not just Pastor Mike's responsibility or Pastor Paul's or Pastor Jared's or Pastor David's or Pastor Kevin or Pastor Kevin or Pastor Kyle or Pastor Addison, it's the church's responsibility. Bring them back. This is what Paul writes in Galatians chapter six. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the love of Christ. You know what that, the law of Christ, you know what that is? The love that we have for one another, loving others as Jesus loves us. Be careful. Don't be judgmental. Don't be condemnatory. Don't lower the hammer. Don't act like you're better than they are. Just come alongside and first pray for those that you've seen who are just not where they used to be, that are drifting. Pray for them. And then ask the Lord for an opportunity. And when he gives it, just say, hey, you know what? I really miss you. How can I pray for you? I really care about you, do that. Not like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that. You know, they don't need your judgment. They need your love. There is a new painting in our church lobby. I don't know if you saw it. It's between the front doors out here in the main lobby. Make sure you look at it. It's a beautiful painting. It's based on John chapter eight. It's painted by Carolyn Blish, a member of our congregation who at the age of 95 was still painting full-time commissions until a month and a half ago when she had a fall at her home. She's now in an assisted living. She always sat here in the front row at 11 o'clock because she liked the action in the contemporary services. She always had her hands in the air praising the Lord up until six weeks ago. She painted that, and alongside of it is the scripture that's associated with it. It's the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And after all of her judges and critics had left, beginning with the oldest ones, they had enough sense to get out of there, the young ones followed. 
Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery and he said to her, is there no one left to condemn you? And she said, no one, sir. And this is what he said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's the perfect balance of grace and truth. Love and truth. He didn't dismiss her sin. He embraced her with his grace and love. And then he said, now don't sin anymore. And you know when he says that, what he's saying is, and I'll give you the power so you don't have to. Handle with prayer. The troubled, the happy, the sick, and the wondering. You know, some people like to say there is power in prayer. I don't like to say that. I think that is not right. Some might think, oh my goodness, Mike, that's heresy. No, it isn't. I think that the power is in the one to whom we pray, not in the action, but in the Savior. And here we are at the end of James. And after he's told us a whole lot of stuff about trials and temptations and conflict and gossip and hoarding and cheating, he says, and pray. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this incredible book that you've given us from the pen of your half-brother James. And thank you that today as we conclude, we conclude with this challenge to be men and women of prayer. Lord, my prayer is that if there's anybody here who is truly troubled today and they haven't talked to you yet, they would break silence and pray. Those who are here who are happy would break silence and praise. Those who are here, online with us or here, who are sick, would act in obedience and call the elders to pray. And Lord, show us who you want us to see, drifting and wondering. And then as we pray for them, show us how you want us to obey your word and bring them back. We pray this together in the name of Jesus and all people said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.